Bible, the first book of the Bible, and if you're using the church Bible, it's page 15, and your own Bible, if you're using it, it's Genesis chapter 14, and we uh, commence our reading at verse uh, 17. Page 15, Genesis chapter 14, and we are going back a little bit into the passage that we were reading last week. Uh, we saw Abraham going out uh, to fight a war in order to rescue his nephew Lot, and by God's almighty power, he won that war, though he was, humanly speaking, very poorly equipped for it. And now Abraham is returning from war, and we want to read into chapter 15 uh, and verse 6. So Genesis 14, verse 17, first of all, is where we begin. <coughs> and Abraham returned from defeating Kedor Leomer, and the kings allied with him. The king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me to Aner, Eshcol and Mamre. Let them have their share. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can, count them. Then he said to him, So 
shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Amen. We're turning today in the word of God uh, to Genesis uh, chapter 15. And this morning we will look together at verses 1 uh, to 6. And then this, this evening we will look at verses 7 uh, to the end. We are looking at the life of Abraham, seeing how he is a man who in the Old Testament lived by faith in Christ, the Son of God. And last time we saw Abraham take a very courageous and heroic stand against four invading kings, defeating them by the Lord's strength and help. And then having returned from war, he took an equally heroic and courageous stand apart from the alliance of local kings that was headed up by the wicked king of Sodom. Abraham, as a believer, is going to live apart from the world. He's not going to be a man who lives in the pocket of the world, so that ungodly people can say, well, we were those who established Abraham and defended him and supported him. But now in chapter 15, in the opening verses, after Abraham has returned home to his wife Sarai, and his 318 men have got back into the routine of their daily life and work, the reality of what Abraham has just accomplished begins to sink in. I have gone to war against four kings. Four kings who have troubled this region over a period of 13, 14 years. I have just stood apart from a local alliance of kings. My neighbours and those in whom, to whom I might look to for help if there was a future war. And all of a sudden, Abraham realises the vulnerability of a situation. He realises how isolated he is in his stand. He has rejected the world. And suddenly he feels afraid and uncertain and anxious and vulnerable. Who does Abraham have on his side? Lot has gone back to Sodom. And in any case, Lot and Abraham can no longer dwell together. Abraham has only this mysterious figure, Melchizedek, the king and priest of Salem, to protect him and his interests. 
I wonder this morning, can we identify with Abraham? In any sense in our own lives, you are a Christian. Perhaps a new Christian. And you have taken an heroic, courageous stand for Christ. You're the only Christian in your family. Perhaps boys and girls, you're the only Christian that you know of in your class in school. Young people, maybe you're the only Christian in your uh, workplace or in your college. And perhaps recently, or since becoming a Christian, you've been taking an increasingly courageous stand for Christ. You've shown boldness and courage for the gospel in some situation or other. And you're at the same time as doing that, feeling very vulnerable. Very vulnerable. What if that employer decides to get rid of me because he doesn't like my Christian faith? What if my parents or my family or that context in which I live, which is non-Christian, what if they begin to reject me? It's easy for us, is it not as Christians, to identify with Abram here. Feeling isolated, feeling vulnerable, feeling afraid in a world that is against Christ and against his people. Yes, this congregation, it's a kind of Melchizedek to us. We come and we experience blessing as we meet together. But tomorrow, you go to school. This afternoon, you go back to the context in which you live. Tomorrow, you go to work. And you can't take your congregation with you. So these verses, Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 6, bring real solid encouragement to Abraham and to the believer who is taking a stand for Christ in a hostile world and environment. And our theme this morning is living by faith in the Son of God, holding on to or believing Christ's promises. As we live in this hostile environment, as we take our stand for Christ, as we feel vulnerable and isolated and increasingly marginalised in the United Kingdom, We still have the promises of Christ made to Abraham and remade to the people of God throughout the scriptures and down through the ages. What are those promises that we are to hold on to and believe? First of all, the promise of protection. The promise of protection. We spoke there to the boys and girls about it. The Lord comes to Abraham and he says, Do not be afraid. 
And we shouldn't pass over those words. When does a father say to his child, do not be afraid? When he senses the child is feeling fear. When does a mother say to their child, don't cry? Only if in fact the child is crying. And so when the Lord comes to Abraham and says to him, do not be afraid. That's emphasizing the reality of fear that Abraham feels. Now what is he to be afraid of? Well as we were saying with the boys and girls. I alluded to already. He has just defeated these four invading kings. And uh, he's won a remarkable victory against them. But the reality is, these kings, when they have been defeated in the past, what have they done? They've come back stronger. And they've come back with a vengeance. And so Abraham is now contemplating that possibility. And as we've said, he stood apart from the world. And Abraham now begins to ask, what if? What if? What if? Who will help me? And so the Lord speaks to Abraham in a vision and urges him, Do not be afraid. I am your shield. I'm all around you. About you, as the psalmist puts it in Psalm 125. The Lord surrounds his people as the hills surround a city. And the Lord says, Abraham, you don't need to worry about your own safety. You don't need to worry about the warring kings. You don't need to worry about a hostile world. I will be your shield in the days which lie ahead, so that no one can harm you. Is that not wonderful? The Lord protects or promises protection to Abraham. And we find the same truth again and again throughout Scripture. Let's just note one from the New Testament. Acts 18. The Apostle Paul, the preacher. And he's got a little group of believers around him in a very hostile Corinth. A very ungodly and wicked place. And what does the Lord find it necessary to do? Acts 18 verse 9. In a vision he speaks to Paul. What does he say? Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. No one is going to attack you and harm you. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. I am your shield. What an encouragement to you and me this morning. We might be tempted to pull back from a courageous stand for Christ. We might be tempted as a congregation to pull back for speaking for Christ. And he says to us individually, and he says to us corporately, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Young person, do not be silent for Christ. But speak out for Christ in school, in the classroom, among your friends, men and women, in the workplace. Because the Lord says, I am with you. No one 
is going to attack you or harm you. The Lord promises protection. But then secondly, let's see how we have a promise here that we're to hold on to not only of protection, but provision. But provision. The second part of verse 1 answers another fear that rises within Abram's breast after he's taken this heroic stand against these warring kings and against an ungodly world. And what is his fear? Well, again, think about it. What has Abraham refused? Go back to chapter, 20, chapter 14, verse 21. The king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abraham said, verse 23, I will accept nothing belonging to you. He's sworn to God. He's taken an oath. He's taken a vow. And he says, I cannot break it. I will take nothing from the king of Sodom. I will not be enriched by the world. I will not be in an alliance with the world to get on in life. And now Abraham begins to think, I've just refused a fortune. And had he taken the spoils of war that the king of Sodom had offered him, he would have been a very, very, very wealthy man. And now the thought begins to go through his mind. What if there's another famine? I've just turned down an abundance of material things. If there was another famine, I could, I could do with all those things that I've, I, I've set aside in order to, to follow the king of righteousness. In order to follow Christ. Notice again how the Lord reassures him in the light of this fear. And I believe the phrase, do not be afraid, covers both halves of the verse. So again he's saying, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your exceedingly great reward. Yes, Abraham the king of Sodom, the world offered you a reward if you would stand with it and if you would throw in your, your lot with it and you rightly have rejected that. But Abraham realized my reward, it's not great. It's not very great. It's exceedingly great. It's riches beyond compare. And I believe that it's not just a reference or primarily a reference to material things here. It's the riches of our inheritance in Christ. Because one day Abraham is going to possess not only this land, but with Christ the whole earth and the riches. Uh, the earth is the Lord's and the riches thereof belong to the Lord and belong to his people in the new heavens and the new earth. And so what can the world give Abraham that will enrich him compared to the riches that Christ will give him? Paul talks about how 
God in Christ has given us salvation, the forgiveness of sins. And with him, what does he give us? Freely all things. That doesn't mean that you and I can go home this afternoon and say, Lord, I want a Merc or a Lexus. Uh, or I want a ten-bedroom house. But no, it means he will give us all things that are necessary for our material life. And then he will give us with that an abundance of spiritual blessing. <coughs> Jesus put it like this to his disciples. They were living amongst people who were caught up in the material things. And they were always fretting about the, the, the ungodly were always fretting about what they were going to wear and how they looked and, and uh, what food they were going to eat. And what did Jesus say? He said, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink. Why not? Jesus, we have to live in the real world. I've got to put food on the table for my family. I've got to clothe my children. Jesus said to the disciples your heavenly father knows that you have need of these things he said to them don't be obsessed with fashion and furniture you want to put in our terms and electronic gadgets not even about the basics of everyday life for the unbelieving run after these things. It's the unbelieving that runs after the increase in salary. That strikes because they think they're not being paid enough. It's the unbelieving who have to have everything new and everything nice. It's the unbelieving who have got to be going up the career ladder so that they are achieving everything that they can achieve. But the believer says, My God, my Saviour, knows I have need of these things. And if he chooses to give me a pay increase, if he chooses to give me success that I climb the ladder in my chosen career, then so be it. But I will seek first the kingdom of God. Because in seeking first the kingdom of God, the Lord promises me provision. An exceedingly great reward. He promises and he gives me heaven and he gives me eternal life and all things with Christ. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian. And you are grappling with the cost. What you're going to have to give up. You've got to give up the world. Can't, I can't live for it. I've got to submit all my whole future to Christ. Who I'm going to marry. What job I do. Where I live. I've got to seek his mind and all those things. And you're counting the cost. You're thinking, it's a big ask. And Christ says to you, there's a bigger reward.
There's a bigger reward. There's salvation. The forgiveness of your sins. Eternal life in heaven. And there is the new heavens and the new earth. This earth will be made new. And we as believers, we will enjoy it in all its beauty. It will be even better than it was in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 before the fall. That's our inheritance. That's our exceedingly great reward. What can the world give us in comparison? So when we feel vulnerable and lonely and isolated as Christians... Because we've taken a heroic stand against sin and for Christ. Because we've refused to go in with the world, we've got to hold on to the promises of Christ. I am your shield. I protect you. I'm your provision. Your very great reward. But there's more. Because then we have in the third place the promise of posterity. And that's for those who love the three Ps. Posterity. But for the ordinary common regarding person you can go for descendants. Okay? You get a two Ps in a D. The promise of descendants. Descendants. You see as Abraham hears this from the Lord <coughs> there's an even greater struggle going on inside this man. Say the Lord promises he's going to protect me no matter what. And he promises he's going to provide for me in a way in which the kings of Sodom and the kings of the east can't provide for me. But hold on here God a moment. Hold on here Lord a moment. Wait a moment before you go any further Lord. There's something that I need to ask you. Verse 2. O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? You said you would give me a son. You said you would give me many heirs. And here I am today. I'm childless. I'm all these years in the land. I'm all these years in the way of following you, Christ. And you promised be an heir and I haven't even got a single child and what's more all that I have Eliezer of Damascus an outsider, a servant is going to inherit it, verse 3 behold you have given me no children a servant in my household will be my heir how can you protect me how can you provide for me if you haven't yet given to me an heir, a son? We have to admire Abram's honesty here, don't we? That struggle. This, this is a man of faith. This is a man who wants to believe the promises. But there's a struggle going on inside him because he hasn't seen a promise fulfilled yet. You remember back in chapter 12. 
God had promised Abraham many descendants. He said you'll be a great nation. And then more recently in chapter 13. The Lord had promised him when Lot had gone away from chapter 13 and verses 14 to 16. All the land that you see I will give to you. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. Abraham says I don't see any dust. I don't see any dust. He says, I don't even see a speck of dust, Lord. Not to mention the dust of the earth that the wind blows across the ground. So what does the Lord say to this? Well, notice that the Lord doesn't ignore Abram's question. He doesn't say what we sometimes say to our children. Ask me later. Come back to me later. That's not now's not the time to ask that question. Ask me at another time. He doesn't brush it aside and say, um, uh, Abraham, you've got to keep believing no matter what. Uh, and it's not for you uh, to, uh, to reason with me in this way. Now the Lord speaks to him, we're told now a second time, verse 4. And to encourage him. And to help him with this particular frustration. Lord, can you fulfill your promises? Because I haven't seen the most basic promise fulfilled. Look at the Lord says, verse 4. This man will not be your heir. But a son coming from your own body. He, and there's a word he in there that the NIV misses out. And it's there for emphasis. He will be your heir. It literally is your very own son. He will be your heir. The Lord doesn't offer Abraham an explanation as to why he's not given him a son to date. The Lord doesn't give him a timetable within which his son will be born. The Lord simply says, Abraham, trust me. Trust me. And to help Abraham trust and hold on, what does the Lord do? Well, we're told in the next verse that he takes him outside. Abraham was obviously in his tent. And said to him, perhaps Abraham at this stage, perhaps he was, uh, he'd been um, meditating on the Lord or whatever. But he's taken outside now. Look up at the heavens. Count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. He says, Abraham, your descendants will not only be as the dust of the ground. They will also be as the stars of the night sky. Have you ever tried to count the stars? It's impossible, isn't it? Even the best astrologers with their uh, most up-to-date uh, telescopes, they don't know the number of the stars. But the Psalms tell us the Lord knows the number of the stars 
He counts them, everyone. The Lord knows the number of Abraham's descendants. And the Lord says to Abraham, you are going to have as many descendants as stars in the sky. He says, trust me. He says, every time, Abraham, you see the stars above your head, that's your nighttime reassurance. And earlier he said, every time you see the dust on the ground, your feet walk over it. In other words, by daytime, by daytime and by nighttime, Abraham, hold on to this truth. I am going to give you descendants. Many, many descendants. More than you can number. And what is the Lord's promise to you and me this morning? Well, he promises us posterity. He promises every believer descendants. He's not saying here that every single person will get married. And every single person will have biological children. That was the reference primarily and first of all to Abraham. But there was a spiritual aspect to this. In that Abraham, from Abraham, this believing man, there are going to come many, 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 many believing people. As many as the stars in the sky. And the Lord is saying to every single believer here this morning, you are going to have a posterity. You are going to have descendants. You are going to have heirs. You're going to have those who follow on after you, who will worship and serve Christ after you, descending from you into the generations to come. That's a staggering thought. That there's people, and that you and I, the impact that we have as Christians in this world, there's going to be an aspect of that that's going to be felt right to the end of time. Because there's going to be somebody who's converted through you. And somebody else is going to be converted through them. And right the way on down to the end of time. And where did it all begin? It all began with you. Because God has made you their spiritual father or mother. The Lord will give the believer children. We're not thinking of children born through the one flesh relationship of marriage, a husband with a wife, we're thinking of spiritual children. Individuals who will come to faith in Christ through your witness, through my witness. Now, you're maybe sitting here this morning saying, Harry, hold on. Are you not spiritualizing? Well, am I? Is this not what the New Testament teaches? What did John write in his gospel? John chapter 1. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a a husband's will, but born of God. John chapter 1 verse 12. John envisaged People having spiritual children. 
that you and I will be plants spiritually to others. And it comes out even more clearly in the Apostle Paul. Because when Paul writes to Timothy, how does he describe Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 1? My beloved son. Was Timothy Paul's son? Biologically, no. Spiritually, absolutely. Because Timothy was converted through Paul's ministry as he went on that first, sorry, yes, first missionary journey, Lystra and Derby. And then later on, you go to the letter of Philemon. And Paul is writing now about Onesimus, this slave who has run away from Philemon and who's gone to Rome and sought out Paul. And how does Paul describe Onesimus? My son whom I had begotten in my chains. If we can put it like this respectfully, he says, my son whom I fathered in my chains. This man Onesimus has come to faith in Christ through Paul's prayers, through Paul's ministry, to the extent that Paul says, he's my spiritual son, my descendant. And Paul says it not just of individuals. He says it of whole groups of people. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15 it's on the order of service. Um, and Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says to them, In Christ Jesus, what does he say? I have begotten you through the gospel. I have fathered you. I have brought you into the kingdom of God through the gospel. Or what about Galatians 5 verse 19? This church is wobbling. It's in danger of departing from the faith. And Paul writes, My little children for whom I labour in birth again. He says, I'm like a mother. He said, I'm labouring from you. And he said, it's like a mother giving birth to a child. And so, the New Testament says, You and I, the Lord promises us, yes, protection. He promises us provision. But he also promises you and me posterity. He promises us, if we go back to Abraham, Genesis 15 again, and verse 4, But a son and daughters coming from your own person, your own life of faith, your own life of witness. They will be your heirs. And he says to us, I want you to look up at the night sky. The stars. I want you to look down at the dust of the ground. And that's how numerous your heirs will be. But you see, like Abraham, and with this we close, we may be childless. For many, many years. We may not see a single person saved through our witness for years and years. 
You may not see a single person saved in your family circle, you who are a new Christian, for years and years and years. It was 25 years before Abraham had the heir. 25 long years. You see, like Abraham, when years pass without spiritual children, we can begin to doubt and to question, will the Lord give us conversions? In a congregation such as ours, if we don't see many conversions and we don't see people joining the church from the world, we can become sceptical and frustrated and unbelieving and cynical. Perhaps we even become jealous of the Lord's blessing on other churches, on other believers. We can become mistrustful of the Lord's purpose. But let's remember that the Lord says to us, as he said to Abram, but coming from your own life, your own witness, you will have errors. What a great incentive to keep living for Christ, to keep witnessing to Christ in our families, in our community, in all the things that we do as outreach, in school, in the workplace, holding on to God's promise. I will make your offspring numerous. So shall your offspring be. And let's look at verse 6 in closing. What did Abraham do with the promises of the Lord? The promise of protection, I am your shield. The promise of provision, I am your very great reward. The promise of posterity, a son coming from your own body will be your heir. What does Abram do? He believed the Lord. He laid hold of those promises. And the Lord says, there's the evidence of a righteous man. And that's the evidence that you and I are a righteous man, a saved man, a saved woman. If we are holding on to the Lord's promise, I will be your shield, that he will protect us. I will be your great reward, that he will provide for us. And that he will bless our witness and our lives, so that we have got a posterity, that this people come into our church, this people come into other churches because of our witness and our testimony. And they are our spiritual children. What an incentive to believe Christ. If you're not saved this morning, why would you not believe in this Christ? Who is so great and gracious and generous. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you today for the Lord Jesus Christ in whom we receive all things. We thank you that in him we have the forgiveness of sins. In him we have eternal life. 
In him we are heirs of the new heavens and the new earth. We thank you that in him we have these blessings now. The blessing of protection as we live in a hostile, alien environment. We have this promise of provision as we experience need in our lives. And we have this promise of posterity, of descendants, as we live our lives for you. You will bless us. And you will make us prince spiritually of other men and women and boys and girls. And you'll make us grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents. And the blessing will go on and on and on until Christ comes again. What a glorious thing it is to be your child. Help us to believe your promises. And help us to show that we have been made righteous through Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.